Hello, and welcome to What If at the College of Charleston. This is a podcast where together we imagine intersectional feminist futures by centering the work of local activists here in our very own college community. I'm your host, Marissa Haynes, and today I'm here talking with alum Reagan Williams. At the College of Charleston, Reagan earned degrees in psychology and women's and gender studies and a minor in political science. During her time at the college, Reagan was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, as well as the Intersectional Cougar Action Network. She co-founded an organization on campus aimed at creating a safe space for students of color called Mental Health and Melanin, and she currently serves as a member of the WGS Student Advisory Committee at CFC. Now, Reagan works as a project and communications associate for a Black and women-owned business where she aims at leveraging racial equity for organizational development. She's joining us in today's episode to talk about her transition from student activism to professional activist development, and in what ways the College of Charleston has supported its students of color and the areas in which she sees potential for progress. Hi, Reagan. Thank you so much for coming. Hi, it's great to be here. It's so good to see you. How have you been? I've been doing good. It's been a busy work day, um, but my mind is fresh. Well, that's (laughs) good. Yeah been busy. Well, I appreciate you making time to to be here today. So tell me about life post-grad. Has it been at all what you've expected? Oh my goodness. Um, That's a very layered question. (laughs) And I guess I can get into it a little bit more, but um, I I moved to Charlotte almost a year ago now. Um, So I've been living it up here and trying to figure out how to get involved in the community here. I'm an outsider still. Um, been living a little bit of a privileged life in downtown Charlotte. Um, so <laughs> not not used to being so far away from from like the black community and, and not being in, in partnership with nonprofits, which has been very different for me. But it's been good. I've, I've really been focusing on trying new things, trying new food, checking out the city. Awesome. So you're out of the nonprofit sector a little bit. So what has yeah. work been looking like? So um, I tried for a long time to work in the nonprofit space. I um, literally spent a year from uh, spring 2020 to spring 2021 looking for work in the nonprofit space in Charleston. And I couldn't find a job, if we're going to be honest. And I think it was partially because of the pandemic and because I was looking for entry-level positions, uh, kind of in a field that I already had experience. And I was getting a lot of feedback, like, hey, like you're well overqualified and we're looking for someone who maybe is just kind of trying to get into the space. So I started looking for more corporate-type jobs that were doing um, the same type of work. So right now I am working at a boutique consulting firm. So we provide expert advice to primarily philanthropic foundations. So I'm working for Keisha Harris and Associates, and we have worked, I think the firm in general has worked with like multi-billion dollar foundations. So there's large implications in the work that I'm doing right now, which is amazing. So I'm really proud (laughs) of what I do and working for such a boss black woman that's really like dominating in her field. Um, So what I'm doing right now is leveraging racial equity for uh, organizational development. 
Awesome. Wow. So, yeah. so you struggled with being like right out of undergrad and with your women's and gender studies degree and your psychology degree being overqualified for <laughs> many positions. I don't, I don't know how many undergrad expect to experience that. So that is, you know, really cool. Do you feel like the WGS program specifically, and, and I know that you were involved in a lot, you know, when you were here, but how did those, you know, qualifications that WGS gave you maybe contribute to your search for work and, and you landing the job that you have now? Oh, it helped tremendously. So when I first got to CFC, I started working with the Gender and Sexuality Equity um, Center. And that gave me a lot of experience kind of developing events, making flyers. And students don't think of things like that, like managing events as project management, but that's exactly what it is. If you're a president or a vice president or just kind of working on an e-board even, or any like student club organization or center at CFC, you have some type of experience in um, project management. So I really listed all of the different opportunities that I was able to take as a WGS student and compiled like all of my extracurricular activities into an e-portfolio. And not only was that part of me just trying to boost my, my resume and like sell myself, but it was really insane for me to see everything that I had accomplished. And I definitely don't. I don't think that everyone's going to leave undergrad feeling like, oh, like I'm so experienced in my field. Um, but that's what your first job, like landing that first job, that's what it's supposed to do, right? So it's just convincing people, like, hey, like <laughs> I've built this set of knowledge and skills in undergrad and I deserve an opportunity. Try. And luckily I got the opportunity with a really good firm. That's awesome. It's really cool to hear you speak to the set of skills that you gained during your time in WGS because I think it's one of those disciplines that where you gain just as much from sitting in the class, experiencing the things you do, learning the things you do, that that time spent could be just as valuable as the actual piece of paper that you earn, you know, on graduation day. And I don't think the same could be said for all majors, and I think that you are a great example of the way that WGS can manifest in a professional realm. And of course, during your time at the college, you took full advantage of everything that WGS has to offer a student, not just the community, but the outreach, the tools to create social change and social advocacy. And that can be seen, of course, also on your resume. So how have you been able to translate those types of lessons in activism to your professional life? Do you see activism still holding a role in the way that you move throughout your career? Oh, most definitely. It's absolutely insane. I really, it took the pandemic and me like questioning everything <laughs> for me to even look into organizational development. Um, because when I really think about it, when I was at CFC, I really pushed back a lot on student government, um, on decisions regarding selecting a president, decisions that were being made out of the president provost office, that I was really kind of pivotal and in a space where I was helping to make institutional change at CFC. So now I'm translating that into leveraging racial equity for organizational development. So it's really not that much different. Um, it's in a completely different space, but 
uh, I'm still really kind of leaning into that student activism. So amazing. I remember being a freshman and, and especially sophomore year when you and I had first started to really collaborate together. And I always looked up to you. Like I could always Aww. see that you saw a vision for it and you understood what needed to be done and you did it because for no other reason yeah. otherwise then that's what needs to be done. And yeah, I think it's, it's so exciting to have you on this show in the first place because you really are one of the first people I think of when I think about student activists during their time and beyond. I know that you're located in Charlotte right now, but I know a piece of your heart is still in Charleston. So what ties do you still have here and what keeps you wanting to stay involved at the college? Oh, geez. Um, what makes me want to stay involved? Honestly, the Women's and Gender Studies Department and Chris DeWeld helped me so much um, just really get out of my shell and become the person that I am. And not only is it like me leaning into my passion, like I said, but I, I don't know, like I feel a sense of responsibility to see it through. Um, so right now I am an alum member of the WGS Student Advisory Committee, and I've been kind of helping. I co-founded Mental Health and Melanin, which is an organization on campus that focuses on the mental health of, of students, um, also people of color and queer folks on campus. So I've been able to nurture those two things that I started doing uh, in undergrad and um, kind of working a little bit with the Intersectional Cougar Action Network as well. Um, I got to speak with some students who were helping with some pushback on the race, equity, and inclusion proposal. I'm glad you brought up the REI bill um, because first, the fact that you know the Student Advisory Committee exists, the WGS Student Advisory Committee, really speaks to what I love about the WGS department, which is like you said, it, it considers students, it considers the students' perspectives, it considers their needs in the curriculum. And speaking of curriculum and speaking of the REI bill, can you go in a little bit more maybe about what the REI bill looks like, why it's important? Okay, so what the REI proposal is, it's a set of course listings that would turn into kind of a, a guidebook for a requirement for incoming freshmen and beyond. So what this will look like is that every student will have to have six credit hours in a class that is focusing in some capacity and race equity and inclusion. And what's really good about the requirement is that it works in lieu with a lot of gen ed requirements. And I want to say that almost every department, I want to say that every department on campus will have a set of classes that will meet the requirement, not only for people who are further in their major, but for folks who are taking those like entry level classes. So why is the implementation of this kind of curriculum important for the progress of the college? So I really think of two things. So number one, in lieu with the requirement, faculty will undergo workshops and trainings around racial equity, which the college needs, point blank period. Um, it's part of what I do professionally, just in a different space, right, is making sure that staff understand the importance of diversity and diversity of thought. I can't tell you, and this is leading into my second reason of why this is so important, I can't think of a single person of color on campus, especially when I was there, that didn't feel kind of isolated either in a room, being the only Black person or maybe one of two Black people, um, students in a room with a white professor, where 
either we didn't feel comfortable or perhaps there was a discussion that was brought up in class where our perspective was overlooked or maybe even not considered. There's been a lot of situations where students have felt uncomfortable by things that the faculty members have said and brought up in class. There was an incident even when I was at the college where a French um, professor said the N-word in class. So I really think that it's going to put pressure on the college to look at Black CFC and our perspective of campus, and not only campus, but of Charleston in general. It takes a lot of courage for people who are moving out of state or even further away from Charleston to come to even come to Charleston as Black people, knowing the history of the city and knowing that enslaved folks built the College of Charleston is really daunting. And you can definitely still feel the racial tension in Charleston as a Black person. So I really think that this will open up discussions across the board for every student to have uncomfortable conversations that need to be had. Well said. I mean, it's absolutely unacceptable, the level of discomfort that, as you've spoken to, the experiences of Black students, especially at a college that, you know, celebrates, quote unquote, diversity. Every point is straight on. So where do you see the hesitation for passing it? What's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? There's two things that are getting in the way. Um, So number one, a lot of faculty, and I know the provost and potentially board of trustees and their president, were all really concerned about um, the pushback from Columbia. So CFC is a public institution, and we have to work in lieu with folks in Columbia to um, pass these big level curriculum changes. And across the nation, there's been a lot of conversation about anti-critical race theory legislation in different states. That conversation hasn't been a huge conversation in South Carolina, but it could be. We're moving into an election year, and it's been really important to our faculty that have worked on this proposal that it be passed. So there was a lot of hesitation about sending it to Columbia with its title, with race in the title. And after that hurdle, it was just kind of like, okay, well, is this number one going to get passed through folks who have to approve this in Columbia? And are there going to be larger implications on schools and institutions, other institutions? Will this kind of encourage anti-critical race theory legislation in South Carolina? That's scary. So I know that there was a lot of talk around that. Number two, a lot of faculty members felt like this was was being rushed because there wasn't a lot of movement for a few months getting a director for REI and getting work done on building these workshops and trainings that they felt like, okay, well, if freshmen come, they realize that they have a requirement and there's not this huge list of classes that they can take to fulfill this and faculty aren't ready, are they going to be able to trust this system, this new director, and really be able to lean in and embrace the requirement? And of course, like these are really, these are points to consider. I don't think that they were lackluster in their thought processes. I don't think it was a huge pushback of the general proposal. 
But the fear is, is that this conversation is going to keep getting delayed over and over and over again. Right. It sounds like a lack of prioritization. Um, So yeah, I mean, you're right. Let me know the next steps because this isn't, this isn't a fight that just has to be in the hands of students of color or even just the student advisory committee. So you let us know and our listeners know what we can do to get this thing through. Yeah. So Um, Faculty Senate just had a meeting yesterday where the motion to push back the implementation of the REI proposal passed. So it's going to get pushed back again, unfortunately. And now really in retrospective, like a sense of looking at the past to now, this has been part of a conversation for a lot of faculty since 2013. That's almost 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is scary. I know that it was so scary for faculty sitting in that in that meeting. Like, when is this going to happen? If it's not happening now, what other forces behind the scenes conversations are happening for this not or not happening for this not to happen right now? Mm-hmm. We all want it to happen right now. But I do think that a way that students can get involved and other faculty can get involved is really kind of creating transparency and pushing for transparency for when that deadline is going to be set. There needs to be a promise about when this is going to be implemented for CFC students. Yeah, I'll get my best people on it. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate your sentiments because you're right. I mean, I think about what I've gained from being a WGS major more than just credits to check off on my list of things I have to do. And I really do believe in the power of this kind of education, not to get a job, not to put on your resume, but to be in our actual society and to interact with other people that don't look like you or didn't come from where you did, because it's inevitable. And this assumption that everyone will just be able to adapt to real work life in the real world after college. Right. I don't I don't know if everyone deserves that expectation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone has earned that, especially at our college. And I think that everyone deserves the right to earn that kind of education, no matter yeah. what discipline you're in. So I thank you on behalf of so many people at CFC for your active work uh-huh. here. Um, I did want you to maybe talk a little bit more about, before we wrap up, maybe your legacy of mental health and melanin. What has that looked like since you've been gone? Did it make it through the pandemic? I know that a lot of groups on campus have, post-pandemic, had to uproot or reroot, I guess. Yeah. um, So the pandemic really did kind of shake the foundation of mental health and melanin. I founded mental health and melanin um, alongside one of my fellow psychology majors who kind of saw a struggle with cougar counseling and students for support, having real conversations with folks who are dealing with mental health issues tied to oppression and discrimination on campus. I remember going and talking to someone and it really wasn't a fruitful conversation because they didn't really fully understand the implications that they had on my mental health. So it was really important that we create this space and it was thriving. Oh, it was thriving. And I really hated to see the implications of COVID on a lot of different black led student organizations on campus, but we did make it through. Luckily, Um, it's not as robust (laughs) or I want to say it's not as robust as it was pre pandemic. We have an amazing e-board right now that's really just trying to put 
back together a lot of the pieces that we had in place. We had a completely different e-board and it's been beautiful to see Black CFC come back together after kind of having this physical separation and having all these different organizations, like you said, either fall apart or have to figure out how to regroup and how to, to regain its foundations. But I, I really see a lot of hope <laughs> for Mensalth and Melanin, and I'm really trying to help push people into those e-board seats and get people out to events. Well, your legacy will always exist on campus far beyond your years. So I appreciate you. And before we're done, I want to, in the spirit of Brene Brown, want to do a little bit of a, of a little speed round with just a couple questions. Um, (laughs) Very low stake. Do not worry about it. Okay. Tell me the one place you want to visit in your lifetime that you've not been. Um, Italy. What is your background on your phone? Oh my goodness. Let me look. It's a picture of me in all black and I look, I look very ballsy. Uh, and assertive. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Love. Okay. <laughs> um, what's one thing about you that surprises people? Ah, a lot of people say that I'm very calm. Um, but when I'm comfortable with you, I'm very funny. I like, I love to make people laugh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Last one. Fill in the blank. Right now, I am. Oh, my God. I am. A prime example of black girl magic. Ah, yes. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. (laughs) You're the best. You make this so fun. I wish you all the best. I can't wait to see you next time you're in Charleston. Of course. The WGS program misses you. Oh, and I miss it. All right. Thank you, Reagan. Good luck with everything. We'll keep in touch about the REI bill. Of course. And if any students are ballsy enough to ask, just just stand up in, in class and be like, oh, do you know what the REI proposal is? <laughs> yes. You hear that? That's a call to action. Listeners. That is a call to action. Ask them if they're taking uh, racial equity trainings and workshops. <laughs> yes. Get I into it. it. Thank you, Reagan. <laughs> I appreciate you. Of course. It was so nice speaking with you. This has been WGS What If at CFC. Thank you for spending time with us today and for supporting the Women's and Gender Studies program at the College of Charleston. For future episodes, visit the college's official news site, The College Today, at today.cfc.edu, or keep up with us on WGS Connect at blogs.cfc.edu slash wgsconnect, and our Instagram at cfcwgs. Join us again next time as we continue to find inspiration from the many faces of intersectional activism in our greater CFC community. Stay feminist, y'all.